child. Uh, you can follow Jeremy, maybe. Yep, who is teaching children's church. Uh, just a quick reminder, because Jeremy is doing children's church, there may be explosions. Uh, so it's a good reason to go. Pyrotechnics. That's it. Um, so, I, one of my favorite uh, husband-wife activities is, uh, is watching uh, movies. But not just any kind of movies. I love to watch mysteries with my wife. I absolutely love it. And here's the reason. I have a spiritual gift, I think, where, uh, where I can watch a mystery film and within the first 10 to 15 minutes figure out the story perfectly. And then I casually lean over to my lovely wife and say, that guy did it. And here's how he did it and here's why he did it. But it is not just mysteries. We watched an M. Night Shyamalan movie. You know, they're all the big twist. Five minutes in, I lean over and I say, this is what's going on, honey. Here's what the big twist is. Here's how it's going to play out. Here's what the monster is. Here's what's happening. And we get to the movie. We're in the theater and she yelled at me. (laughs) I love, love that. Um, Because I love my wife. Uh... But it ruins it, right? Like, we're all completely in agreement that I'm a big jerk and that I ruin the joy of mystery by killing the mystery. It's like those guys who do, like, who go and and watch magicians and everybody's all excited and, oh, wow, cool. And you get that one jerk in the audience, and I don't do this, who sits there and says, oh, he's got a card hidden in his sleeve, or, oh, there's this, or, oh, there's a false bottom to his hat, or, oh, like, there's no fun in it for anyone else except the guy who knows everything, which is where most of my fun in life comes from. Um, We're going to be talking about the mystery of Christmas today. We're going to be talking about the mystery of the, the birth of Christ, the mystery that kind of surrounded that whole event in the scriptures. And, and it is not a small thing. Um, but the church has done a really, really good job of figuring stuff out. Right? We know that, that the baby was, you know, fully God and fully man, and we know that he was, you know, God's plan for salvation. We know that, that everybody expected this military leader, but they got this. I mean, we kind of have, have parsed it out perfectly over the years. And there's a reason for that. Like, that parsing out happened because there were crazy people who came along over the years and said things like, well, Jesus was not actually God. He was just a man who stood in God's place, and then, like, the, at the baptism is when the Spirit came into him, and that's where, like, he was a man infested by God, and, you know, and so, like, Jesus isn't actually God, like, like and so then the early church, that was a guy named Arius, uh, who, by the way, in important Christian tradition, um, St. Nicholas, the St. Nicholas, at the Council of Nicaea, when Arius was explaining how Christ is not God, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, punched him in the face and was arrested. Um, It is a Christmas tradition that we have not followed up on well. (laughs) 
And I, I would like to suggest it for next year's Christmas uh, pageant. Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, so because of guys like Arius, what happened was the church had to come along and say, all right, well, here's the deal with the incarnation, and this is what really happened at Christmas, and this is how a virgin could have a baby, and this is this, and this is that. And by the time you get to today, we have all the answers. And you know what isn't fun? Having all the answers. And to believe arrogantly that we can distill everything and, and nail it all down perfectly so that we know all the answers. There's a great deal we don't actually know, and there's a great deal of like, like mystery to the conversation, but we're going to get to that. So what we're talking about, over the last few weeks, we've been kind of working our way through a, a devotion book I've been reading uh, that's just excerpts from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Letters from Prison, uh, dealing with Christmas. And, and we've talked about different aspects of Christmas, and this week we're going to talk about the mystery of it. And we're going to start in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 1. Um, but after he had considered this, this is Joseph, right? So Joseph finds out that, um, um, that Mary, the woman that he is betrothed to, uh, is pregnant. And he's considering it, and he's saying, well, I'm just going to go ahead and silently divorce her so that, like, she's not put to shame publicly or, you know, whatever, and I'll move on with my life and find somebody else to be my wife. And, um, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Okay, so we're touching on a couple of things here, but I really want to focus on this last bit. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, for us, we look at that, and we can say pretty confidently, God is with us. Obviously, it's referring to the fact that Jesus was God, and he was with us, right? Now, the early Jewish hearer, and actually the early Jewish person who is hearing the gospel or reading the book of Matthew or being exposed to the scriptures, would read this, and they would know this text because um, they would know it from Isaiah 7, where the king is dealing with a difficult situation, like militarily, and God says, all right, I'm going to fix it for you, and um, I want you to ask me, and I'll give you a sign that I'm telling the truth. And the king kind of waffles and says, oh, no, I can't ask God for a sign. That would be unfaithful. And God's like, look, I told you to ask for one. Why can't you do what I say? How long am I going to put up with you? So fine, I will give you a sign, and here's what it is. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? So Isaiah's talking to the king, and he's all angry. Therefore, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, in the original context, like we kind of cheated, right? Any of y'all ever skip to the end of a book or hop online to check out the spoilers before something happens or accidentally, like that's happening to me right now. I'm, I'm our family, we, we love the Mandalorian, but we have to wait for Joseph, or for Joseph, 
Joshua, the other Bible character, to be in our house to watch it because, like, we have this that rule every husband hates, don't watch it without me, right? And so we've got to wait for Joshua to show up to watch it. And so I have, like, a three-day gap because he shows up on Sunday and we watch it. And then I accidentally encounter spoilers on the Internet and it's ruined it for me because I already know what's going to happen. Um, we're reading this and we know what's going to happen. We know Jesus is going to be born. And so it's really tempting to read this and not read it in the original context. In the original context, these guys are hanging out and there are armies out there and things are bad and they're scared. And all of this bad stuff is going on. And God says, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. And by the time this son is born... Um, and he's able to, like, speak for himself and know the difference between good and evil and all this other stuff, your problem will have been solved. And you'll be able to look and say, oh, yeah, God told me this was going to happen. And Emmanuel here, Manny is what we call him when he's hanging out around the house, around the castle for the ancient Israel king. Like, Manny here is proof that God was going to do what he was going to do. Well, well, then who's this virgin person? Well, it was probably somebody who was in the king's harem. If you don't know what a harem is, boys and girls, ask your mom and dad when you get home. Um, and so, like he says, listen, there will be one of these ladies in your harem who will have a baby. And you'll name him Emmanuel, and, like, that'll be proof. Well, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it kind of is because, like, I mean, we sort of take it for granted that you have kids now. Back then... And it was a bit more of a dice throw. Like, there wasn't any knowing when a woman was going to get pregnant or not get pregnant. They sort of knew the mechanics of it. But, like, the specifics of it, like, it wasn't a given, right? Like, there were a lot more difficulties related to conceiving and having children. And so it was a huge deal when you had them. And so this would be a genuine sign. Um, Not a miraculous sign, per se, but a real indicator. Um, And so the ancient Jews would have read this and said, this is in reference to a young man who was born in the king's castle, right? Like a son of the king, a descendant. And they would have read that, and the ancient Israelites, like the ancient Jews, actually, around Jesus, would have understood it this way. Now, Matthew comes along and tells us, no, no, no. This is one of them double-fulfilling prophecies. It happened then, but it was pointing to a bigger reality. What is that bigger reality? Well, the virgin's going to be with child, right? Like, Jesus is going to be born. Now, and God is with us will be the thing, right? Like, like it'll mean that God is with us. And you'll know that God is with you because God is literally with you. For the ancient Israelites, they would have said God is with us because he took care of us. But in this case, it is something bigger. Now, the ancient Jews, this is nuts. It is absolutely nuts. This is so unbelievably unheard of that when Jesus referred to himself by God's name, they tried to kill him, Right? In his trial, when he said that I'm the Messiah, and they're like, well, obviously you're blaspheming. Like, you didn't talk like that because God was so other and so out there and so holy. He would never, ever, ever, ever show up as one of us. And so this idea is insane to the ancient Jews. And to give you a little bit of context, also in Isaiah, um, and I cannot read this text without reading it in Kate Anderson's voice. And some of you will know why. And the rest of you, I'm sorry, you're just going to miss the joke. Um, with whom then will we compare God? To what image will you liken him? So there, the conversation is, well, what are you going to compare God to? Like, if we're going to talk about God, how are we going to explain him? Some of us have pictures in our head. We picture a guy with a beard up on a cloud somewhere, right? I, I assume those people are like five years old. 
But like we picture that. Or we picture like Michelangelo's uncle with his beard and his mullet and all that other stuff, right? Like we have that image of Jesus or like the, the little carvings you see all the time on the crucifixes in Catholic churches. Um, and so we say, well, you know, what does God look like? Who is, what image would you liken him to? And Isaiah goes on and he says, as for an idol, a metal worker casts it. So like a pagan god, you would know what your god looks like because you'd have a little statue that you'd worship. And you'd have a metal worker cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains around it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. So now Isaiah's talking to his people. He's like, listen, you guys are trying to figure out what God looks like. Well, if we're talking about the pagans, they make statues. They have this stuff they can look at. But... But, but, and this is a huge one, right? And we'll say it in Kate's voice, right? Do you not know? I can't do a good Kate imitation. She's got a deeper voice than me. Um, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. And we all know grasshoppers can be a headache, right, Mary? Uh, <laughs> his people are like grasshoppers. Um, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And so Isaiah is saying, listen, the pagans, they make statues. But you can't con- like consolidate our God into this little thing. You can't draw a picture of God. You can't, like... Like, make a little statue, this is God, you know? We see that picture, you know, all the time. And there are, there are segments of Christianity where they'll say that... I'm going to come over here and grab it. There are segments of Christianity. I have friends, actually, uh, who believe this, that, that to have a little baby in a manger like this, this is idolatry because you can't nail down who God is. You can't put him into a statue. You can't do any of this because God is huge and he's otherworldly and he's powerful and like god isn't flesh you know how i know because flesh starts to fall apart right and i am here to tell you that is absolutely true you can ask larry too he'll probably attest to it right now as well like our flesh is not permanent it is not glorified it is not wonderful and holy like it is none of those things god is so big and amazing that his people are like grasshoppers they're tiny and they're little and they're sometimes a nuisance and they clog up your machines when you're trying to run them but honestly you can step on them and they're nothing because grasshoppers are nothing god is so big and powerful that our lives are minuscule and they are they're you know tiny and and we pass away so quickly god hung the heavens like like he is so big and powerful Um, He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground that that he blows on them and they wither. Um, And a whirlwind sweeps in, uh, sweeps them away like chaff. Um, And how how much better of an analogy is there for Montanans, right? Um, You know, you have... You have stuff in the fields, and if you wait too long, it's nothing. You know, it gets shriveled up, and the snow falls, and the wind blows, and it turns into tumbleweeds or whatever, and, and it's gone. Like, like, if you run over it with a combine, and you manage to not get it clogged up, like, it goes away as dust, most of it, right? It is nothing. Um, princes of the world. This means 
the rulers. This means the presidents, uh, the former presidents, the, the Illuminati or whoever else is out there. That was a joke. I don't believe that. Um, the, <laughs> like like the, the people who we think are so powerful are like those plants that get blown away. They're nothing to God because God is that big and that powerful. To whom do you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? Um, have any of y'all in the last you know, few years stopped your car in the middle of nowhere and stepped out and looked up? Every one of them, millions and billions of miles away, and God hung them like Christmas lights because he felt like it. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these Um, He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of the great power and mighty strength, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So this God who is so amazing and so powerful and keeps track of the stars and knows every hair on your head, this God who is so powerful and otherworldly was born. Now, for an ancient Jew who would not write God's name out, right, they would write the first letter, and they would throw away the pen in case they accidentally wrote something inappropriate next, and they didn't want to blaspheme God like that, right, who would not say his name out loud are told God was born as a man. That's absurd, This is like Mary stepping out of the combine and saying, I will be a grasshopper now. And hatching from an egg suddenly and miraculously and being fully Mary and fully grasshopper so that she can convince the grasshoppers to escape the doom that is coming if they don't stay away from the combine. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't even know why I'm picking on you today. (laughs) It is funny. (laughs) Um, It's insane, and it's offensive. But the problem is it's also true. Like, the mystery of it is that the infinite God occupied the finite man. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, called it the absolute paradox. And we like the idea of pinning this down and understanding it. But there's a degree to which, like, there is no understanding it. Kierkegaard said, actually, the birth of Christ is so out there that the only way to understand it is to take a leap of faith and trust that it's true. That such a big, amazing God could get poured into such a small container. And we lose sight of how small we are until we're rushing to Great Falls in the middle of the night. Right? And then you realize how fragile we are and how tiny we are until you sit out under the Montana sky and you look up and you say, wow, I'm, I'm little. God stepped and became one of us. Not only that, not only that, I mean, because there's a mystery to that. How did that happen? And we like to think we can pin it down, but it's a miracle and it's an offensive miracle. It is. And not only that, he was born so that God could declare him guilty of sin. Like, not his sin, but my sin. 
God was able to declare Christ like, like he, he literally he became sin who wasn't, you know, who knew no sin, right? Like is what Paul writes for us. Like he becomes sin and God pours out his wrath on him for us. It's not even like easy to compare this to anything because the degree to which like God is so offended by sin. Um, there's a spot in, uh, I want to say Ezekiel, where the prophet compares the sin of God's people to an aroused donkey. It's a gross image, right? I tried to make that as soft as possible. I'm growing up for those of you who think I say offensive things on purpose. But that's what Ezekiel wrote. Because God is so disgusted and offended by sin. And he became that sin. Because rebellious, self-centered, wicked men. Like he loved us. He loved people who hated him. He loved you when you were at your absolute lowest, dirtiest, filthiest, most miserable. And not only that, this God who is completely unknowable, who is so big and powerful and like awesome, um, he was with us and we could know him. Don't take that lightly. Um, Paul writes in uh, Colossians, uh, to them God came to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So um, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. What is the mystery? That is that not only was God like manifest, not only was God born and like not manifest, that's that's a heresy. I didn't mean to say that word. Um, he was uh, incarnate in Christ as a man, like localized. But from there, he stepped into us because we are filled with Christ when we are his followers. He dwells within us. Think about how insane that is. The mystery of who God is because he's so unknowable and we can know him because he resides within us. Also in Colossians, he says, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does that mean? It means that in us, um, when we follow Christ, we can actually know God. Like we can know him. This is, not, there's not even like a way to compare it. Like I, I got nothing. Um, I can go to school and study the stars and become a genius expert on every star hanging in the sky, right? Um, and I wouldn't really know them because I had never stood in the presence of any of them up close. Right. I would know things that have blinked out well before I was born. Um, I, I cannot actually know God in the fullness, but I can know God because of Christ. What greater mystery is there? I, I know Jessica. I, I know things that make her laugh. Like telling her the end of mystery movies before we get there. I don't understand it. I know my wife. 
I know she doesn't like her eggs with runny yolks, right? I know this. I know she does not like a lot of noise, right? I know she likes love letters. I know she likes certain things. She loves the French horn um, because I hang out with her. I, I know Terry really likes his chihuahua even though he pretends not to because I spend, I spend time with Terry, right? I know that I know one of the Williams kids likes to wear helmets and embarrass me in public <laughs> in revenge for me beating him at a board game because I hang out with him, right? I can know y'all, but in Christ... In this tiny baby is the mystery of the reality that God set up the world so he could know you. And so he could buy you back from the slavery of the sin that you live in. He could make you brand spanking new, clean and holy and wonderful and acceptable to him. And not only that, he could take everybody in this room, whether you believe in masks or not masks, whether you believe in... Um, you know, creamer and coffee or not, whether you're you know, on the right side or the left side of the aisle, whether you're um, somebody who hates, hates, hates farming or somebody who lives by it, like every one of us, and people throughout history who hated good music and, you know, people who were French even or Canadian. Um, and he makes us brothers and sisters. And he unites us as the body of Christ to move together and to accomplish his goals in the world. We are united. And there's a mystery to that that doesn't make any sense. Because I'm going to tell you, after 20 some odd years of working in churches, getting three people to do the same thing together in a church is a miracle on its own. But the Holy Spirit fills us, Christ enabled us, and we are capable of being Jesus in the world together. What greater greater glory is there? What greater mystery is there? And what do we do with this? Honestly, part of it is, as we celebrate this season, like, appreciate it. Like, the Christmas spirit, we were, I was talking to Stephanie about this before the service, you know, the Christmas spirit, a lot of times we get into this idea that we need to be cheerful and sing songs and our hearts have to grow three times larger and we have to give the Whoville kids their annoying toys back. And everything else, like, like, that's not what Christmas is. Christmas is the mystery that God loves me when I'm terrible, when I'm beyond terrible. It's the mystery that God poured his infinite self into this teeny tiny baby and was helpless. He emptied himself of his divinity is what it says in, or he emptied himself of his power um, is what it says in Paul. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. That's a heresy also. I didn't mean to say that. He emptied himself of his power. He put aside his glory, his, his omni-everything, and became a baby. Somebody had to change his diapers. Somebody had to change God's diapers. Right? I wish kids could do that themselves. You'd think that Jesus would be able to, since he didn't cry when farm animals were all over the place. At least that's what the song says. Um, the mystery that God loves you that much. The mystery that Christ came and died for us. Wake up every morning for the next like two weeks, three weeks. Don't think about gifts. Don't think about cake. Don't think about lights and trees that you still haven't put up yet or whatever. Or the fact that we didn't have a Christmas stroll because of the stupid coronavirus or whatever nonsense. Remember, 
Christ died for you. Christ was born for you. God came to save you so that you can know him. You can know the, you can know the person that hung the stars. Let's close in prayer and let's praise God for the, the thing I don't understand. I don't understand why God loves me and I don't understand why I go as far as he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you for, praise you for Christ. I praise you that, that your ways are, are foolishness to a dying world. That they're offensive to people who, who don't know your heart. I praise you that, that you love me even though I'm a person who ruins the ends of movies and, and that I'm selfish and self-centered and, and chase after idols and everything else, Lord. And, and I praise you that, that, that I can know you even though I am a wicked man. And I praise you that every man, woman, and child in this room, like that they can know you because Christ came, because the Word made flesh. I praise you, God. And help me to understand that mystery a little better every day, but help me to trust that you're in control enough that I don't need to pin it down. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.